This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. Good morning, you're listening to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. The 7th Bumiputra Economic Congress, or BEC 2024, will begin on Thursday. The latest government attempt to revamp the long-running and contentious Bumiputra Economic Empowerment Agenda. Will the Congress critically examine the discrepancies between aspiration and reality in the agenda, and how might it chart new ground? Joining us today to discuss these themes are Ahmad Yazid Othman, Senior Fellow with Majlis Tindakan Ekonomi Melayu, MTEM, who is with me in studio, as well as Dr. Lee Huan, Senior Fellow at the ICS Yusuf Isha Institute, who's dialing in via Zoom. Gentlemen, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Good to be with you. Hello, Shazana, Yazid, and everyone. Hi, Dr. Lee. I would like to start with a broad assessment from both of you on the impact of Bumiputra economic policies to date. They've been a prominent feature in our economic landscape since 1971 with the new economic policy, as we all know. Yazid, let's start with you. To what extent have pro-Bumi economic policies succeeded over the past 50 years? And where has the agenda fallen short in your view? Well, I think uh, generally the Bumiputra economic agenda... Uh, has not failed, but it's not reached the level of success that it was intended to. I think in general, if you can refer to the new economic policy, or better known as Dasa Ekonomi Baru, there was two prongs. One is actually to uh, resolve uh, the problem of poverty. And number two is actually to ensure that we don't have an economic activity that is uh, defined by race. I think we did number one very well. Uh, I think the, the policies... Uh, really moved a lot of people out of poverty based on that particular baseline, which is around 980 and so on and so forth. I'm not quite sure. But it really, really helped a lot. And number two, uh, we could see uh, as of today, there's a large number amount of middle class among the Biputra community. This has a lot to do with the educational policy that it has. So social mobility did happen. We did move a lot of people, a lot of population, a large number of uh, the rakyat out of poverty, into the middle class, living in urban areas. So to a certain extent, it did not fail there. However, the second pro, it failed totally because we don't have uh, the level of uh, uh, cloud in terms of... Uh, economic activities. We still have economic activities that are defined and designed to uh, to give benefit to a certain particular community, etc. Uh, number two, we could see the income gap between Bibutra have steadily grown over the last 21 years. If I'm not mistaken, when it started around 1995, we were 10,000 year. The, the gap between Bibutra and Chinese was only 10,000 year, but uh, now it's almost three times higher. So so that's what we feel. We see the minimum wage between Bibutra and uh, Chinese uh, employees, uh, basically, uh, the difference is actually, uh, I, th- I think, uh, around 50%. So we, we find all this uh, level. Uh, the productive capacity of the Nambumi is four times higher than the Biputra. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the GDP per capita gap between the Biputra and Nambumi is around three times more. Uh, and, and all of this indi- indicates that we have not yet figured out how to ensure that 
the BCIC, uh, the Vipra Commercial Industrial Community, is significant enough to contribute uh, to contribute in terms of the GDP contribution in Malaysia, to be participating in real uh, substantial uh, supply chain of different industries, different sectors. I think we are still lagging there. Mm. Uh, however, uh, I think uh, what we need to take stock is Uh, there are certain success stories as well. For example, PNB started off like a few billion dollar in terms of asset. Now it's a 300 billion. It's one of it owns one of the largest bank in Malaysia. Mm. So we do have the tendency. We, we we do have strength. We do the intention is noble, trying to correct the incorrect, trying to ensure there's better distributive economy. There's economic justice in Malaysia. There's a true sharing of prosperity. I think the intention is there. I think we need just to fix where we went wrong. And figure out how we can do better. Okay, I'm going to bring you in, Huan. What do you think? Do you agree with that diagnosis? And I'd also like to ask: To what extent are the policy failures in the Bumi agenda due to poor implementation versus perhaps poor design? Yeah, uh, let me dive in straight away with uh, Yazid when he brought up the second prong of the new economic policy, which I think you know is uh, the the banner under which we have these Bumiputra uh, policies. And drawing on the logic and coherence and comparative experiences with other countries, there are basically two chief goals that are uh, being served here: expanding participation where the group lacks representation. They have, you know, through uh, historical circumstances and disadvantages, are on on average less able to enter into to be uh, upwardly mobile into these areas like higher education. Uh, owning and operating businesses, um, uh, mobility into the high-level occupations, especially professionals and uh, management. So mm-hmm. that's expanding participation and building capability. Right. So beyond that, not just about the opportunity to to uh, you know to go into higher education and and uh, participate in like, upward mobility in in the labor market, but the skills that are gained along the way, the uh, competencies and and the confidence. And and the mobility, I think that's where it's been uh, lacking. Mm. So I th- we we really you know should have this framework in mind: expanding participation and building cap- capability, and uh, not make kind of more sweeping judgments about this whole system because they really do operate very uh, distinctly with mm. overlaps, right? Uh, but you know how the, the the considerations, the policy design, and also our assessment right needs to take it sort of one one by one. So we have the expanding middle class. Yeah, that's true. And I think in general that kind of more quantitative achievement of more in the university and therefore you know it uh, growing into these occupations and urbanization that has happened. But I think on the second one, building capability, that's where the the lack is, and also uh, across across the board, like in education. You know, I think the still uh, shortcomings in terms of academic rigor and capability of graduates. And I think that has to go with lack of the support and maybe also, you know, the the admission system. I think that is um, not not operating as well as it could. Mm. The lack of dynamic competitive enterprises. That's also related to, you know, what I think is the important that distinction and where really the attention needs to be and where we have fallen short mm. on the capability side. So I just want to emphasize that I think we really we need to, you know, move beyond. I think the simplistic and, and dogmatic statements that I think also, uh, you know. I tend to polarize, mm. whereby like oh all success or all all, all failure. Or there's another popular one uh, that oh the system only benefits the the Malay elite. Yeah, Now this is all good. partially true, 
right? Mm-hmm. There have been successes and there have been failures, but you know, it's it's uh, it's just demonstrably false to make that as a general statement that applies across the board. And I think just to really, you know, uh, focus on the different uh, sectors, even higher education, you know, have different different considerations. You mm-hmm. can consider disadvantage students a little bit more than something like SME development, where you need to take into account the ability, competency, you know, competency. microfinance is also different from SME, right? So we sort of lose all of the, the important inside information, right? When we just, you know, lump it all together as though there is one okay. for the general. Everything operates very distinctly. So one of the flaws, I suppose, in approaching this Bumi agenda is, like you said, seeing everything in black and white. It's either one or the other. Everything's with the same broad brush, right? And one of the uh, features of the Bumi agenda that both of you have criticized is this long-standing preoccupation with achieving 30% Bumi uh, equity ownership. Huan, why do you think this target became so entrenched in the Bumi agenda? Why is Why are we so wedded to it? Uh, as I read through the documents and some of the in the seventies, when all the, you know at, at its inception, and also track uh, some of the other discourses, like in media, what was in, in the public domain and in party uh, news uh, newsletters and so on. What ha- what really struck me was that when the new economic policy was first introduced in nineteen seventy one, it declared this within, quote-unquote, within one generation objective as uh, Bumiputra full partnership in the economic life of the nation, which I thought, you know, was uh, quite uh, suitably uh, ambitious mm-hmm. and broad. And I think it, it, it was, um, I think, aspiring, right, for the community to acquire ability to broaden participation in line, I think, with the best way to understand uh, this, this policy. Um, and to eventually, yes, to be able to graduate from the preferential assistance, you know, to have that confidence. By the mid-70s, I think there was political pressure, right, for equity to be given that prominence. And so by the mid-70s, uh, it was articulated the within one generation objective of the NEP was reduced to 30% equity ownership. And that is very telling. You have the Industrial Coordination Act that came about as well that com- that was uh, compelling uh, companies to above a certain size, right, to allocate 30%. And, and that was very, very uh, controversial. But you see across time how when that is a driving objective, right, there is a tendency for, for uh, vested interest to intervene and, and is opportunity, right, for more get-rich-quick profiteering you have with the privatization and, and the succession of other, other policies. And I think what fell by the wayside was what, Yazi and I are talking about, you know, developing from more from the bottom up, right? Um, homegrown uh, enterprises, right, that are innovative, that are dynamic. It's more of a long game. It's not going to be very uh, quick successes. But I think we are seeing after 50 years, we kind of have to go back to some of those basics. Mm. Yazi, what do you think? 30% equity ownership. Was this always a flawed target? I, or were there other factors that led to the failure in achieving this? I think uh, that when we actually zoom only onto the equity, we fail to understand. I think the perception was the equity would represent the productive capacity of the Biputra. Then when they have this equity, thus they own 30% of all companies in Malaysia, therefore all industries and so on and so forth. But you and I know it's not the case. I think uh, we all know that equity, the whole idea of trading and etc. Is actually to make money. So as far as we are concerned, if the Biputra fund company like PMB would own Apple, it does not ensure that Apple would have its own supply chain of Biputra. It's, uh, uh, Apple would have 
its own um, we put right directors and so on and so forth so 30% equity is actually flawed because it's not based on any da- number and data in fact it should be changed because it does not reflect the true nature or the intention behind the equity was to ensure more meaningful Biputra participation because when we got our independence the baseline for Biputra was very 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 low hence why uh, the idea to form uh, Biputra proxy in the form of PNB became very popular because if we were to wait and not allow any affirmative action uh, we would have to wait even further longer and causing disharmony and instability in a community as diverse and as multicultural as ours, this was a necessity. So I think uh, agreeing with Dr. Lee is we need to focus on uh, determining what are the targets, what is the productive capacity that we need to achieve and what would be uh, the activities that we require. Is it a form of training? Is it more money? For example, let me share with you, uh, MARA, uh, one of the one of the institutions that was created as part of the Congress uh, back then uh, was, was tasked with two things, one education, another entrepreneurship. Do you know how many, how much money was allocated for entrepreneurship development? You're going to tell us. It's only around 100 million compared to the 4 billion that they was given. So where, what happened to the rest? All for education, scholarship, capex, etc. So you expect Mara to become the lead agency to, to graduate all these Buputra SMEs? It's impossible because I think BFM should know better. In the capital market, 100 million is nothing. So if you really want to you know, move the needle, you need a bit more. And then that will translate into different programs, etc. I'm speaking to Ahmad Yazid Othman of AMTEM and Dr. Lee Huan of ICS Yusuf Isha Institute. When we come back, we're going to discuss expectations for the 7th Bumiputra Economic Congress this week. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar and with me today are Ahmad Yazid Othman, Senior Fellow at the Majlis Tindakan Ekonomi Melayu or MTEM and Dr. Lee Huan, Senior Fellow at the ICS Yusuf Isha Institute. We are discussing the successes and failures of the Bumiputra Economic Agenda and also looking ahead to the Bumiputra Economic Congress that's going to be held this week. Uh, Yazid, talk to me about the preparations that have been made for the 2024 BEC, which the Prime Minister announced back in September. So there has been uh, some run, a lead running runway to this. Uh, what kind of consultations or engagements uh, have been carried out ahead of it? Well, um, I'd like to congratulate the government. I think they did uh, their very best trying to get as many people involved. Dewan Peniaga Malaysia, Malaysia, the Malay Chamber of Commerce, as well as MTEM, uh, were one, two of the NGOs that were invited into the main committee. So we had first understanding and knowledge how uh, the Congress was held. Uh, and uh, as a result is they've identified around 10 different clusters. Uh, one is actually uh, about uh, the development of people entrepreneurship head by Dr. Afsa. Then we have this uh, corporate equity and wealth creation by Tan Sri Wahid. Uh, Halal industry was led with Dr. Ami Maiden and so on and so forth. So it's actually quite high profile head of clusters leading uh, all of this. And, and as a result, uh, I think... In view of that, all of them would have their own uh, what you call Cecilia Badurus engagement session all over the country. Mm. Uh, in particular, the one that is actually led by the Tafsa, I think had, had more than four, and uh, and 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 so on and so forth. Uh, I think Tansi Wahid did one recently in Roy Chulan, getting all these uh, financial sectors and all these other stakeholders on board. Um, so I think, uh, and then I think Tansi Mazlan as well was involved. She was the head of new technology cluster. So if you look at uh, the attempt to actually resolve it, it's, it's quite uh, extensive. 
but uh, the question is whether it will achieve the necessary intended outcome. Mm. Will we be able to identify what we actually need? Do we actually identify what went wrong? Do we actually know how to fix it? I think that's something that we have yet to see and we are hopeful that uh, within the committee we'll have the opportunity to, to highlight uh, whether these engagement sessions would lead to us to identify powerful resolution as powerful as it was in 1965 where we actually produced a lot of this uh, a key milestone formation of Mara, formation of Bengbu Putra and so on and so forth. So I think the, the community needs to know how does that translate to something uh, not only, uh, that would not be deemed rhetorical mm. but something actionable And so that's why it's important for us to understand whether they are actually have goals in place whenever they end this engagement session. Personally, I think uh, we need more time mm. because for every sector has different issues, have different policy problems, have different uh, point of views on what went wrong, where are the points of uh, Where are the areas where it's prone for corruption? Where are the points where there are leakages? What went wrong uh, in this particular sector? Why are we not in, partic in, in, in particular sector construction after years and years of having uh, all these you know, contracting jobs? Why, where, what happened to our, you know, and so on and so forth? Right. There's just so much to look at. And so as Huan was talking about, it needs to take a very refined approach, not just one that can cover everything. Huan, I mean, we just saw the Tindakan Pembangunan Bumi Putra 2030 plan that was launched in 2021. How much should this form the basis of what goes on in the BEC? I mean, if there's already a solid blueprint, do we need to reinvent the wheel again? <laughs> I think one thing is showing is that, right, it's an embedded and very entrenched uh, policy. And I think I'm saying this more of a statement of fact than, than, than being uh, a critic uh, and then a criticism. Let me just also add, I just want to make this point, you know, in case the, I don't get to before we're, we're done, that the broader uh, context of this policy, right, I would term as group targeted. And I think the perspective also to have, and I'm glad we're able to talk about that to pan out and, and, and look at things in, in the bigger picture, is that there is a domain of policies predominantly Bumiputra targeting, but there are also some that are Indian, uh, for, targeted at the Indian community, at Orang Asli, and they can be by gender for women. So they operate on a much smaller scale, but it's it's the same uh, type of uh, policy. Mm. And so one way to you know, to to fit this agenda as well, when we're talking about, you know, as a sort of a national agenda, as people like to say, is to recognize, right, that that they are they're not in conflict and that the different groups interests. And I think that's one of the expectations as well. That how is it, why you focus only on one group? Well this one does, but it is part of Right, a broader domain that also can has uh, programs for other groups, and the discussion should be about how to strike uh, that that balance. Um, so, but yeah, you know, it's continuing, and the other ones are also continuing, right, for Orang Asli and for the Indian community. Uh, and I think the the role of the summit and then the role of these continuing policies and the various agencies are involved as well. We need to recognize right the the overlaps and and within that the role of a Congress, which is you know yeah it is government endorsed, it is government sponsored, you know, but it's like a summit that is making resolutions mm. right that will be presented to their agencies and how then they fit in with already a very continuing agenda. I mean you know this we saw all those shifts of government and of course each one wants to say that they're bringing something fresh and mm. they may 
little bit. But overall, right, there's a lot that is, you know, a lot of inertia in, in, in the system, uh, in the good sense and the bad sense. I mean, inertia just means it's sort of uh, weighted and, and, and it's continuing, right? And, and, and you can, you know, make uh, adjustments. But- Implications here and there, but you know, not like really totally overturning. But I think, uh, as Jesse was saying, you know, yeah, it can lend weight, especially if the if the discussions, the resolutions, you know, are very uh, are solid and, and well informed and, well, and well strategized, you know, I'm, to make a major impact. I think I'm, that can. Be I've been in uh, in many of the engagement sessions, and I, and I, and what 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 uh, what is also disturbing is some because of the goals are not clear. Then we go back to drawing boards. We, we tend to discuss ideas that was already already in place. Hmm. We're suggesting solutions that's already you know, practiced, and so on and so forth. Because we're not able to discuss uh, clearly uh, what we want to achieve. So you want to build a building. You would need to know the stories. You know how many story floors that you want to build it, right? You want to know where is it, what's the square feet, etc. But if you just say you want a building. But you don't de- you don't define where is it going to be located. You don't define how tall it is. You don't define how, what's the size, how many rooms, how many toilet. Then how is the discussion going to be? It's almost impossible. I just want a building. The building has to be better than the one next door. So it's unclear. So my point is, because the goals were unclear, we don't have true north as a guide. Because we don't have that, our discussion is not trying to determine what are the what are the goals and sub-goals that we need to determine. For example, let's assume that we found that in particular sector, renewable energy, for example, is going to be the most high-yielding uh, industry. And apparently, for some reason, we found that this, uh, the Buiputra has a certain talent for it. So what do we do about it? How do we ensure that the genuine Buiputra gets a certain amount of leverage, certain amounts of opportunity to ensure they became uh, uh, representative of the goals that we want to achieve? But then if don't, we just tend to discuss a lot of output and measures without really knowing what is the outcome that we want to achieve. So, uh, so and, and for example, oil and gas sector, it's, we are an oil producing country. A lot of Bibutra T20s are in that particular sector. I can dare say that. Uh, but what are the steps taken to ensure that this community ensures its fair share in that particular industry? Uh, that's an industry where they actually have dominance, etc. But what can we do more? How can we ensure that they graduate further? How can they ensure they can become uh, uh, more participatory in the global uh, oil and gas sector? But we can't have that discussion right. because we have a discussion that is based on very broad uh, ideas and we do not zoom in because we don't have the true north, the true goals. Understand. Thank and you. it seems like all of this is pretty difficult to do in just one Congress. Like you yeah. said, it seems like uh, these individual sectors need a lot more depth and a lot more, a longer timeline really. And hopefully that's something the government government is considering that it won't come up with just those broad, overarching, um, vague targets. In the minute that we have, gentlemen, can I just get you 30 seconds of response? Um, what, at what stage can Bumiputra policies be foregone, do you think? What kind of targets do you want to see uh, come out of the BEC? 30 seconds each. Uh, Yazid, we'll start with you. Oh, me first. Okay. Um, I think uh, we need to discuss, um, I think when there's parity, uh, what I do you mean by parity? Uh, income parity? Income parity, wealth parity. At the moment, uh, GDP per capita uh, of the Biputra is around, I think, if not mistaken, 40%. And Nanbumi is around more than 100%, 150%, if not mistaken. So we need to decide uh, when we can actually have parity around 70%, probably of GDP per capita. That would be something that we would like to see. And that would translate uh, into, uh, you know, uh, gross. That would translate into number two, which is also important, living wage. 50% of employees now are Buiputra 
uh, uh, below the living wage. So if you can increase the level of wages, which is a need-based policy, a universal policy, would actually ensure that the Buiputra would have more income, more disposable income, that they can invest more, they can invest in education and so forth. That's number one, to ensure that we have one through north. Number two is actually to focus on building a capable, sustainable, uh, talented, competent Buiputra community uh, com- uh, com- what you call it, uh, commercial co- industrial community. Okay. So that would really help. And then we need to figure out by sector according to the goal that we agreed, which is in our opinion, 77 GDP per capita, or we could say 700 billion okay. in total. All right. Huan, 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I think another fundamental rethink we need to do is not, not be obsessed with that one all-consuming termination date as well for this policy. Focus mm. on what national enduring national objectives for various targeted groups take a sector by sector approach focus on the two main uh, prongs of or uh, pillars of uh, expanding participation and developing capability and within that we're talking about graduation we're talking about also how to make the access and uh, more equitable and more effective all right gentlemen we have barely scratched the surface of this massive issue but thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today i've been speaking to ahmad yazid othman of majlis tindakan ekonomi melayu and dr lee hua an of ics yusuf isha institute this has been the breakfast grill on bfm 89.9 the bfm breakfast grill brought to you by you mobile Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.